everybody. Welcome to September 16, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Nizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. You know, sometimes before the show, you get a certain feeling of how it's going to go. This is going to be a fun one, I promise. I, for what reason, I don't know, but there will be. I promise it'll be a good one. Let's get a quick take on Denver Bronco Brandon Marshall meeting with Denver Police Chief Robert White this week to discuss why he chose to take a knee during the national anthem before a Broncos game. Patty Cahoon from Westward. Uh, at the very least, I haven't kept up with all the different football players in different cities, but this seemed at least uh, one of the football players who did uh, make this protest, following through and learning more about the issue. Uh, there seemed a little more credibility there, at least in my eyes. What did you think? I thought it was great. I thought it was great that Robert White took the time to meet with him, and Chief White has been at least out in the community, unlike some people. I thought it was great that he asked Brandon Marshall about what suggested things he could do to help further the education. And as far as I can tell, I like it that Brandon Marshall hasn't whined yet that he lost, what, three endorsements? Mm -hmm. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, what did you think of, of the meeting? It seemed like a productive uh, response from someone taking a stand publicly. Definitely. Uh, good for Chief White and, and, and good for Brandon Marshall, as, as Patty said. And uh, Marshall actually uh, got a new endorsement uh, for his anti-flag uh, stance. So it'll it may balance out, and I think it's all, the, the endorsement money is sort of minor compared to the salary money. I, I would say um, I'd respect him more as somebody who's trying to be thoughtful and responsible in his life uh, if he didn't illegally target the heads of opposing players, which has a high risk of causing concussions and injuries. You know, you want to, you want to stop illegal violence against black people. How about not hitting Cam Newton on the head uh, in a flagrant violation of the rules for which you were fined $25,000, which is approximately the amount he says he's going to be donating to charities. Eric Simon, political analyst, uh, what about the optics of, this, of the situation? We talk about that all the time. What do you think? Well, uh, David stole my thunder. I mean, that endorsement money could have gone some distance to pay, uh, pay the $25,000 fine. Uh, I basically agree with what's been said. Uh, this is not my protest, but I certainly respect that it's other people's protest, and I certainly respect their right to carry out that action. In a perfect world, it would have been nice for Brandon Marshall to meet with Chief White and, and become more informed, perhaps before the protest as opposed to after the fact. But we don't live in a perfect world. I give both Chief White and Brandon Marshall credit for how they have conducted themselves. I would love to see Brandon Marshall perhaps go on a series of ride-alongs with Denver police officers and into some of the tougher, more difficult parts of Denver to see what a cop on an eight-hour shift what they're confronted with on a regular basis. But um, all in all, I think it's been handled about as well as you can handle it. Penfield Tate, from, attorney from QTech Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker, rounds out our panel. Finish up for us. You know, I, I think both Chief White and Brandon Marshall to be complimented for meeting and discussing and handling this. And I understand Eric's point, but in a perfect world, there'd be no need for the protest whatsoever. Right. We wouldn't be there. And, um, you know, I have three uncles who were all police officers. And back when they served, this wasn't an issue. This wasn't as prevalent as it is now. So, unfortunately, we have the protests, but more fortunately, we're having conversations about the underlying issues. A Reuters-Ipsos poll released this week showed that Donald Trump has erased Hillary Clinton's early election season lead in Colorado and now leads by two points. 
However, a Quinnipiac University poll shows among voters 18 to 34, Gary Johnson, the Libertarian candidate, is in second place, only two points behind Hillary Clinton. Meanwhile, Vice President Joe Biden was at the University of Denver on Thursday, stumping for Hillary. Patty, the, the polls have gone pretty crazy throughout the season, but I guess the one I look at mostly is how much money is being spent in the state. That still, still seems to be pretty uh, low. But what do you make of the polling headline news this week? Well, what a difference a month makes. It was just a month ago that Donald Trump, who was supposed to be back tomorrow to be in Colorado Springs, was here, got stuck in the elevator, was accusing the fire marshal, who's a citizen, you know, a citizen hero, of having, you know, cut down the number of people who could attend his speech. The, the fire marshal who'd saved him from the stuck elevator. But over the last month, suddenly, he has managed to put a lid on his. Uh, Trumper tantrums. He is behaving a lot more presidentially, and clearly it is showing in the polls. Meanwhile, Hillary has not had a great month. Um, doesn't even matter. The health issue is a side note. That deplorable speech was deplorable. She is now looking like the petty um, insult, insultometer, and Trump is actually looking fairly good, but who would have thought it a month ago? David, uh, are we looking, are we reading too much into these weekly polls? No, because they're they're consistent nationally of a not not so much a of, of Trump closing the gap significantly, partly because of fall off from Clinton. Um, it's not surprising that that young people who are less wedded to the habits of voting um, are so enthusiastic about Johnson. Well, those are two former successful moderate Republican governors, and compared to this Mobius strip of deplorableness, you know which one is worse, Trump or Clinton? It's like. The, the paradox of who's worse at golf, me or John Caldera, and the answer is actually both, even though technically that can't be true, but it actually is. Um, notably, I, I was completely wrong, by the way, about a month ago when I said it was all over for Trump because he's the only one who can lose to her, but she's also the only one who can lose to him. And if the, the Democratic Party is as serious as it is, with good reason for thinking Trump is a threat to the republic, they should ditch her and put somebody else in. Tim Kaine would win in a landslide. Bernie, despite being a Marxist, might even win. Kaine plus Elizabeth Warren would, would, would probably would unify the party and sweep the country. Um, it's notable that Daryl Glenn is now within 10 points in the Senate race, or as Michael Bennett put out in his fundraising yesterday, it, it's now a, a, a single-digit race. You know, Hillary's spin on... Uh, her fainting spell or whatever uh, was, well, her staff says, oh, we try to get her to drink water, and she's just completely resistant to drinking water, which contradicts an interview she gave a few years ago where she said she loves to drink water. She drinks water all the time, which means she lies more naturally than she drinks water. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a, a, a heck of a connection there, but if it's going to be me, it's going to be at this table. Uh, Eric, what do you think of the idea that um, the the, of ads being on TV or radio or other media being the real barometer of how much interest there are from campaigns in a state. First of all, can I get some hazard pay for having to go after <laughs> David on a regular basis? I think that's, that entitles me to something here. Uh, your, your question's a good one, Dominic. Money is the ultimate barometer in politics. Follow the money and it shows you where the polls are. The money follows the polling as much as the other way around. Clearly, Trump is. I mean, Hillary's had a bad week and a bad several weeks here, and Trump's been the beneficiary. The biggest beneficiary has been undecided. I think a lot of Hillary voters have not gone over to Trump. They've just gone up into the air, up into the ether, because they can't figure it out. 
people want to vote for character in a president, and that's been the essence of the problem in this race is they look at both candidates and find them both so unbelievably or deplorably, to steal a word, deficient in the character department. If Trump is competitive in Colorado, and I'm not accepting that as a premise yet, but if Trump is competitive in Colorado, then we should prepare ourselves for a President Trump. Because if he can get himself into a competitive two-point kind of position in Colorado, then he will probably win this race. I am not there yet. I still think Clinton has the advantages, the advantages of the Electoral College. Most importantly, the last two Republican candidates, John McCain and Mitt Romney, both lost handily. And you cannot yet point to a single state, particularly swing competitive state, where Donald Trump is outperforming either John McCain or Mitt Romney. And if he cannot outperform then, he will not ultimately be successful. Last point, I think the closing of the polls, what it really means is not that Donald Trump is going to defeat Hillary Clinton in this election, but that it might not be the Democratic sweep that carries them to the U.S. Senate that gets them much closer in the U.S. House. It might not go down the ballot as far as Democrats were hoping um, because of the softness of the Hillary support. Penn, if you were advising the Hillary Clinton ground game here in Colorado, would you be worried? I wouldn't be worried, but I would say you've got to stay committed and you have to really have a ground game because Colorado is eminently winnable for, for Hillary Clinton. You know, my take on the polling that we've seen is a little bit different. I, I think what's happening with folks is, um, to an extent, they're not wild about either candidate. And so that's why I think Clinton's support has dropped off and Trump's is, has sort of, I think, hit a ceiling. But the other thing that I think is happening is, and, and Patty sort of touched on this, how, you know, I think Hillary made a mistake that all of Trump's primary opponents made, which was getting down in the gutter with him. You know, you got to be who you are, and that's not really who she is. So she ought to leave some of that alone. But the problem for Trump is that he is that guy. That's who he is. You know, we're talking about the polling now. Just yesterday, he started up with his birther junk all over again. Now, that's going to frighten a bunch of people and turn them off again. And it's going to renew the charges of his Trump racist and all of that. And what I think is happening with him is there are some people who are holding back, waiting to see, can he keep it together for two or three months and not act so outrageous? and offensively that I might consider voting for him. But every time he slips, I think he reinforces what I think is not a perception. It's the reality that I'm just that guy. I'm that guy who's going to mouth off and say a bunch of crazy stuff because it's really what I think. And that's what I think fundamentally frightens people. And I think it will ultimately drive them to Hillary Clinton. I think Johnson may show a little bit better, but it's going to drive them away from Trump because ultimately I think he's going to show you just can't trust him when it matters. Ahead of the November election, a study released by the University of Denver this week showed a minimum wage hike to $12 an hour would help and not hinder the state of Colorado's economy. David, when you saw this report from the University of Denver, I mean, this is People are used to the University of Denver being a pretty credible source. We're right in the middle of a big ballot issue election in Colorado. Uh, it could have a pretty big effect. What did you think of it? Well, unlike many of the journalists who wrote about it, I actually read the study rather than just uh, paraphrasing the press release about it. The study claims that it showed 
that raising the minimum wage from $7.83 up to $12 an hour won't increase unemployment, although they're actually too delicate to ever say the word unemployment. They use this euphemism of job loss, job-based loss or something. But they don't have any information about this specific proposal and how it affects unemployment. Their whole evidence on this is just a few citations to a study by a guy named Cooper who wrote something for a, a D.C. think tank uh, three years ago. And that was a national study about raising the minimum wage to $10.10, not about raising it to $12. So there, uh, there's much less to this study uh, than meets the eye if you just credulously accepted the, uh, the press release uh, paraphrasers. Eric, I would love to be one of the many Colorado voters that would put so much th uh, thought into, like David did, of read the actual study word for word and get all the information. But the fact of the matter is, most folks are going to see the headline, and if it's going to come into their decision making, they're not going to read the whole study. Could this have a big effect on the ballot uh, results? It could have an effect. I'm not sure I'd say it would have a big effect. There's a premise in your question, which is a whole lot of people are even reading the headline, and I'm not sure I totally buy that premise either. But Good point. Uh, more people are reading the headline than reading the study. Uh, this thing, uh, unlike David, I didn't cheat and actually read the study because that's called doing homework, and we frown, or we frown upon we that around frown this upon table. That. Yep. But uh, the whole issue to me comes down to a trade-off, and it's a trade-off that voters have to sort out. For those who are making minimum wage, and would continue to hold on to their jobs, of course $12. I mean, $12 is not even a livable wage. You can't support yourself or certainly a family on $12 an hour, but it sure beats eight or some number like that. Um, what that trade-off doesn't take into effect is job loss. And their uh, economics, basic marketplace economics, tell you there has to be some job loss involved in this. So for those who don't lose their job, it's a good deal. For those who do lose their job, it is a bad deal. For those who don't lose their job, it can boost some consumer spending at the margins. For those who do lose their job, um, the contrary is true. This strikes me as the ultimate head versus heart issue. You read these headlines, you hear these stories, you hear the pitch, and your heart says, of course, $12 an hour, and quite frankly, why is it 12 and not some significantly higher number? Your head says, economic principles mean something, the marketplace tends to function, and there are trade-offs involved. Penn, I believe a week or so ago we talked about how minimum wage was one of the two ballot issues pulling above 50 percent. Does this buoy those numbers? Um, I think it has the potential to do that. But the problem with all of these studies is depending upon your premise and what it is you want to argue, I think you can support an argument statistically that raising the minimum wage will be good for Colorado, will be good for the economy, and you can also support the proposition that it will cost you jobs. You know, the people who say it will cost you jobs never take into consideration the fact that, you know, if you're a small business owner and you have to raise the minimum wage of your eight employees, if you sell a good or service, you'll probably just increase the price of the good or service to make up the difference. You need the people you need to run your business. And so most small businesses aren't going to start firing people wholesale because of a change in the minimum wage. The real conversation we ought to be having, and everybody's avoiding it, is this has no business being in the state constitution. Uh, this ought to be established by statute so that as a society and as a state, we can experiment. If 12 does result in job loss or has some deleterious effects, ratchet it down to 11 or 1050. If 12 is good but not quite good enough, scooch it up a little bit. The problem is this whole debate is misplaced. This just doesn't belong in the Colorado Constitution. Patty, uh, was it fair for DU to release this study right smack dab in the middle of a pretty heated election? 
Sure. They can release whatever study they want, and there are plenty of people who have jumped on this bandwagon. Penn has a good point, and the other point I brought up before is the way this is written, it would really affect one industry that is very important in Colorado, which is our homegrown restaurant industry. There's the tip share provision, which would mean, yeah, you're going to see prices go up because the waiters and the servers who are already benefiting from the tips will wind up also getting an increase in their salary, which will mean the only way to balance it will be increasing drastically the price of food. So I think if the restaurants really have a good campaign out there, everyone has their favorite neighborhood place, that may be where this fight comes down to. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock presented a $1.9 billion 2017 budget this week, which includes money to hire 48 new police officers and put $5 million towards an affordable housing plan. Uh, Eric, we have a strong um, uh, mayor version, uh, government, form of government for Denver. So this is likely going to be the budget. The city council might tweak it a little bit, but this is essentially going to be it. What did you think? The initial reviews of the budget from city council people we're positive that this hits most of the priorities they should hit. Clearly there's a significant increase in policing in the central business district, primarily the mall, that is necessary. There's the affordable housing piece, uh, that's also necessary. You can color me somewhat dubious that $5 million or even $15 million when you bring the extra 10 that's being debated is going to really be sufficient to address that issue and I don't know, you know, haven't seen a lot of examples around the country where government as an institution, local government, can meaningfully address that I issue, but it is an issue uh, that the public wants addressed, and so uh, city government is going to make an effort. The real thing to me, Dominic, is less about the budget, and it's more about where Mayor, Mayor Hancock is. I think he's in a fairly precarious place. For somebody who was just reelected a year plus change ago by an overwhelming margin, he is very glad that this election is not this year. Um, I think events are somewhat getting away from him. I flash back to 19, uh, this is ancient history in Denver, but in 1979, Bill McNichols was reelected almost by acclamation. There wasn't a real potent opposition. And four years later, he didn't even make the runoff. Now, we'll see if Michael Hancock is running again in three years from now. He could run for a third term if he wants. He hasn't yet indicated one way or the other. But I think that third term could be very difficult because of issues of traffic, of congestion, of growth of policing, of homelessness. Um, this is a city that is going through boom times, but a lot of the problems are landing at the mayor's doorstep, and I think there's increasing frustration with how they're being handled. Penn, within the budget, says uh, money for 48 new police officers. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's a, a decent number. Is it enough? You know, it, it remains to be seen. I think both of the issues that you've highlighted, the police officers and the affordable housing fund, are indicative of some of the issues that Eric talked about. We've got boom times, tremendous growth, and but this is not just Hancock. For years, the city has lagged behind in keeping up with some of the infrastructure needs that are necessary. Um, Five million is a good start. It's going to be difficult to do a whole lot with it. Execution, having a plan and executing on the plan is going to be key. In terms of the police officers, this is really going to be closely watched because the issue is going to be who's recruited, who's hired, where are they deployed, and sort of going back to one of our other topics, Brandon Marshall and Chief White, how are they trained? Mm -hmm. If you hire more people who simply exacerbate the existing problem, that's not good. I am convinced this mayor will not let that happen. I don't think Stephanie O'Malley, the manager of safety, will let that happen. But that's going to be the true test. That's what people are going to be looking for. Who's recruited? 
who's hired, how are they trained, and how are they deployed. And, and we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. But it's probably the right uh, emphasis at this time. Patty, what did you think? Did we see the right highlights coming out of this budget? It does look good in theory. I mean, we're talking about how the police are trained. We just learned last night, I guess, that the he one of the heads of the cadet training got bumped because of bullying. That's not a good lesson in how our law enforcement officers are being trained. And I think to Eric's right that people are getting tired of not hearing about what's happening with streets, what's happening with traffic, what's happening with parking. And that discontent could boil over in the next few years, especially if the economy takes a slide because just driving around town I think I hit five different places where the roads were being fixed that's okay but it's inconveniencing, inconveniencing people who used to just kind of love how easy it was to get around in this city and also to communicate in the city and that's another place where we have roadblocks. David your thoughts on the 2017 budget proposed by Hancock? It'll result in about four more officers at any given time in, in the downtown area, broadly defined, which is not just the mall. That's a good step, probably not close to sufficient by itself to solve the problem. There's some good things in the budget which work on some of the root causes of the crime problem, including on the mall, which is one thing called a solution center, which they, both of these they have, but they're continuing them and appropriately funding them so that there's a place for behavioral people having behavioral health emergencies or homelessness have, have some place to go right there where they can get immediate help. And then also a pro program they called co-responders where you hook up law enforcement officers with mental health professionals so that there's somebody who can d help with the homeless people and hopefully get them into city services and, and most importantly into treatment. There's also, I think, a problem in the budget, which is $2.5 million to replace existing garbage cans with things you have to wheel out uh, to the front of your house that can be more efficient for the, the, the pickup, but it's also tough on, say, elderly people who can't wheel them, and we haven't seen anything yet from the city about what, what they're going to do about that. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week, and as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well... We have certainly covered John Bonet in Westward, and we have <laughs> talked about John Bonet at this table, but it's a Colorado crime. Why are we suddenly seeing TV show after TV show, Time, Newsweek, doing their fabulous 20-year retrospectives of the murder of John Bonet Ramsey, which wasn't until December, if you're really going by the anniversary. It's just this very strange new world of mainstream media trying desperately to get some viewers. That's a sick reminder. I completely agree. David. To recall the times when people actually watched them. Uh, Joe Biden's speech at DU said that last night said that the United States is in a stronger, more respected position globally than at any time in history. That's, he is, because he's the vice president, so he gets treated better than ever, but that's not true for the country as a whole. And you can just go back to, for example, the Bill Clinton administration when the United States and many others, when the United States was much more respected abroad than it is now. Eric. This is too easy, and we talk about it every week, but the presidential race we're confronted with is a disgrace that these, in a country of 310 or north of 310 million people, that this is the choice we have. There was a great quote by columnist Mona Char in a week ago. I'll just read it. It's one sentence. The nightmare choice between utterly mendacious and corrupt and frighteningly ignorant and unpredictable is upon us. I thought that summed it up about as well as possible in one crisp sentence. Well done. 
Penn. In a sign that the Armageddon is upon us, the research firm Mintel recently reported that millennials, um, rather than having kids, are instead owning pets. 75% of Americans uh, in their 30s own dogs. 51% of them own cats rather than having kids. And the report goes further to say that men are more likely to own pets than women because women find they take too much time and effort and work. As a uh, uh, owner of a spoiled beagle, that's, that's, that's not so bad. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> now say something nice about somebody. Patty. Well, I want to say something nice about League of Women Voters. I spoke to that group. Big fans of the show with good reason, and they love all of you. But I want to say something about Startup Week, which started five years ago in Denmark and has exploded. A really great free service showing just how entrepreneurial, independent, and interesting the projects are in Denver. David. Today is Constitution Day, the day when it, it became the, the law of the land after being ratified by the people, uh, the greatest governing document ever written. Uh, a republic, if you can keep it, as Benjamin Franklin said, and I hope when people uh, vote, they will vote their conscience for candidates who respect and support the Constitution. Eric. This one's eminently personal. Uh, Penn made reference to, to, to pets. Uh, we actually had both kids and pets, and this afternoon we're saying goodbye to our beloved and longtime 14-year uh, family dog who's been loyal and loving and playful and a wonderful part of our lives and is not a viewer of this show and will not be around to watch the show this evening. Well, he probably has good, the taste good enough not to watch the show, but uh, our thoughts are with you. Penn. Uh, shout out to Greenleaf, the local nonprofit that um, works with youth to promote um, food justice in urban food deserts. Um, they have just expanded their reach and opened a community garden at Smiley Junior High School in Park Hill, where kids are trained to raise the, the food there and distribute it to people in the community. That's great. Nice. That's great. Well, this is all the time we have for Colorado Insider tonight. Thank you for tuning in. I want to tell you about a couple of big programming items coming up that you do not want to miss. Later tonight, we premiere our new season of Both Sides of the Story. It's our high school debate series, and we have four great high schools competing. It's actually a kickoff our 2016 tournament. We'll have winners of all these different high school, uh, the four, first four, and those winners will compete in October. We'll finally have a Both Sides of the Story champion. Jack Cohen and Max Donovan from East High School tackle the medical aid and dying issue on tonight's episode at 9. And on Tuesday, check out our next episode of Street Level. It's our magazine show at 7 p.m. We go to Navajo Street, and we have a great story about Patsy's. We didn't want it to be an obituary, but apparently we, they closed it about a month after we did the story. And, of course, our Lady Mark Carmel Church, uh, which I have a personal connection there, and the many art galleries nearby. So be sure to check it out. It's Tuesday at 7 p.m. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.